Hello, I'm Mariette Sneeman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on how to take good care of yourself and others. Today our topic is how to build your personal brand to enhance your success. My guest is brand building coach Dawn Klatsko from Johannesburg. Welcome, Dawn. Mariette, thank you very much. Wonderful to have received the invitation. Thank you. Just to inform our listeners, at the end of our conversation, Dawn will give us her three best tips on living the best life. And then it will be fun question time. Dawn, the COVID pandemic has turned the world upside down. And quoting from your book, which we'll be talking about today, this is a particularly vulnerable time. Could you comment on that? I think so besides the unprecedented challenges that people have been faced with, I think we have been accelerated into so many individuals having to develop a new identity. So it's a new identity in terms of we've broken with habits that formed part of our daily existence that was the that rug was grabbed from beneath us so a lot of people have gone through a reset of the challenge of how you were all working from home and for many women in particular this challenge of being mom at home doing homeschooling as well as continuing a career so we've been forced into a new behavior set without any forewarning so i think that was a big challenge but what i've also found is and it's been in for me as a coach has been an enjoyable area i know it sounds bizarre to think that there's any enjoyment in the pandemic but i think a lot of people have been shaken out of their area of complacency they've had to find new careers they've had to in, in reinvent themselves learn a whole lot of new talents and tasks so i think the the pandemic as frightening and as terrible as it has been has forced a lot of us to refresh to rewind reset and move forward again and i think only in retrospect will we be able to see that that has been to the advantage uh, for so many of us otherwise we would have carried on trudging along the same route that we we've always been going along yes i agree um it's sometimes it's good to be shaken out of your right, right even if you have no choice in the matter but exactly for that reason that we've been shaken out of our rut we need guidance and your you have a, a platform called the art of the suit which is also the name of your book and i would like you to tell us what a suit is <laughs> yes, so what's interesting is that my life before that of being a business and executive coach was in the ad industry and that was really the bulk of my career i spent 35 years in that business from a junior working my way up to ultimately starting my own ad agency and in that world you get two broad categories of talent you get the creatives which i was not and you get the suits which i definitely was so the art of the suit is all about the insights that i learned in retrospect obviously you know the benefit of hindsight uh, i was a suit and i thought what was it that made me successful 
what were the skills that I learned to take a creative idea, sometimes as literal, in the ad industry, you've got creative thinking, but for other people that may be as an entrepreneur or an idea that you've created, you've got a trademark on something, whatever that kernel of creativity, that visionary idea, there are essential components you have to surround it with in order for it to be sustainable, to succeed, to get traction. And when I reflected on my career in advertising, I thought to myself, what were the lessons that I wish or the insights that somebody would have said to me, hey, Dawn, here's a heads up. So you've got the theory of business, you know, whatever the discipline is that you've studied or you've learned. But there's the reality of when rubber hits the tar, what is it? How do you get traction? And the art of the suit is about the art of protecting that concept and ensuring sustainability. So it's about sharing those insights. Yes, I must say um, I really enjoyed the book. Uh, it's very practical, and then I love the humor in it. And we're just talking about the book as a background to what we're going to come to, the building of your personal brand to enhance your success. Would you like just to give us a taste of some of the building blocks that you were talking about, which one uses to surround your concept? So there's some fundamentals. You know, for example... A lot of people that you speak to, there's a lot written about passion. So when I speak to people about reinventing themselves and the challenge of that, very often the conversations revolve around, I'm passionate about this, or I'm not sure if I've got a passion for that. Or when I question people about why they want to change a career direction or the frustrations they're experiencing, the subject matter of passion comes into play. And in The Art of the Suit, the one reflection that I have is that passion can actually be your destroyer rather than enhancing what you're going after. Passion has a role to play in that survival because it needs to fuel you over the bumps in the road to energize you, to help you overcome adversity. But one of the techniques that I recommend is to learn how to put your passion on hold and then do the groundwork. Look at the numbers. As I advocate in the book, you must love the numbers. If you can't see if this is not going to be able to sustain you to whatever level, it, can't be, it cannot be implemented. You're going to fall out of love and lose your passion with that idea very quickly. So learn to put the handbrake on and put passion aside. Look in the cold, hot light of day. And speak to others. So I fully advocate going to people who are in that industry that you're entering into, the most successful individuals, because they're the ones who least threatened by a new entrant, and not only ask them what it took or what they attribute their success to and ask them for advice and guidance, but in particular to probe them on what sacrifices they had to make. Because I'm sure you've had the same experience. We always look to the other side of the fence and think, oh, that must be easy. That must be exciting. Look how easy it is. That it, They don't realize that it's that person who's put in 30,000 hours to present 30 minutes of excellence. So these are very fundamental. Some of them are extremely fundamental. 
And some people that I interact with on the book go, yeah, you know, that's a given. <laughs> yes, but it's a forgiven. It's a given that we forget about. Exactly. And then you're not forgiven. So it's very, very practical guidelines. Other aspects like finding a safe confessor. I see this a lot in, for example, the corporate environment, that you think that person, you expect them to be an ally to support you and promote you. And the next thing, certainly in my experience of the advertising world, suddenly your brilliant idea that you shared, thinking this was a safe confessor, pops up with somebody else using your intellectual property. So finding a safe confessor, if you're not absolutely certain, rather try your ideas or your pitch out on your dog, is my advice, <laughs> and just keep it safe. You need to hear it. Your brain wants to hear it from you. It wants to hear that loop. Present it back, but make sure it's in a safe territory. Yes, and what I really found interesting was your, the, what you wrote on what you should keep in mind when you are trying to get family and friends to help you with your business. I call them the new F words, friends, family and favors. And this was really, it's, it wasn't only from my coaching experience. So I reinvented myself completely about a decade ago when I got out of the advertising game. And, you know, we all, when we try to rationalize or justify in our own minds that this new business idea or this new venture, you, part of your self-assurance is that you've got this wonderful collection of friends. You're going to ask family members to buy from you. And then the reality comes to bear. And so are there two principles that I advocate there. I say, look, first of all, be kind to your friends and to yourself. So... Only go there really as a last resort. And if you're going to engage and ask a favor, be very clear right up front that you're about to do that. Because if you've got them double guessing and they don't realize that you actually want them to buy your product or to subscribe or to give you a like or to give you an introduction or open a door, then they walk away from you going, that's very nice. And you end up with a broken heart thinking they've been disrespectful. They don't value your friendship. And also I hear so many people complaining. They say, I'm looking to friends or families to support me, but they all want a massive discount. And there was a lovely analogy. Somebody said, they, if you go into your favorite supermarket, if a good friend of yours had a franchise of that particular brand, you'd never ask the teller to give a discount to you because the manager or the owner of that store happens to be your cousin, brother, or friend, you wouldn't do that. So I always say make sure that you understand the terms of engagement and give them the exit before you go in. So let them walk away from the request with your friendship, your family relationship. Don't use up the favors uh, with, without the correct intention in mind. Yeah, very, very sensible. Then you mentioned IQ and EQ. There's a lot around that. So we have, I think that we have at our disposal a lot of talent and skill that we don't acknowledge. In particular, as a coach, one of the experiences, the journeys I've been on 
is every single instrument that I use in coaching, you go through a process of self-analysis. So every time you use one of these psychometric profiling tools or whatever, your first customer is yourself. So it's kind of Dr. Hill thyself. You need to understand how it works for you first. What I've come to realize is that we, we possess an enormous amount of talent and skill. We talk about IQ, certainly. It's kind of more concrete. It's more measured, even though the concept of those formal IQ tests is now a pretty outdated concept, and it's being not really widely used. It's, it's to a large extent, been rejected as a formal measurement. But I think what we regard as IQ now is what are the formal qualifications that you've got? Where did you study? What are degrees? What accreditations? And we've got this constant drive for ongoing learning. EQ falls into that natural talent quadrant. And EQ is about the ability, whether you've got it already or need to develop it, is how to read the room, how to read a situation. What is your intuition? What is your instinct? And it also feeds back to your own authenticity and your own values. So when you understand yourself and you know what really resonates with you, you then develop that EQ, that emotional intelligence, to evaluate the opportunities, the people that you meet, all of the dynamics, the potential of future partners of a team. There's a lot more to it than merely IQ or EQ. And I think what's really exciting in this age that we live in, especially triggered by the pandemic, is there's so much information out there on the web and free profiles. And as much as your curiosity is to understand your own construct, it's out there for the asking. All you have to do is reach out and, and firstly find out about yourself. Yes, I think we've actually now reached building your personal brand. Ah, okay. Because you, you have been talking about what one possesses. Yes. Uh, before we go into details, how has personal branding changed since the 90s? I think, so in the 90s, what was very interesting, so when you say to somebody, personal brand now, they immediately rewind. And when you say to somebody, do you have an idea? Do you have a vision of your personal brand? They look at you a bit skeptically because who comes to mind? People like Richard Branson, Oprah Winfrey, dare I say Trump. <laughs> so the, the old form or old understanding of personal brand used to be where somebody had built up such great success that their own identity was of real value to that organization. So if you take someone like Richard Branson, who I admire and I love his teachings, his books, he began as this young maverick, this real entrepreneur. He never had that high-profile personality from day one, but he still is very relevant and functional in the business because the Richard Branson brand is so respected and he keeps it so fresh that it's still of value to the formal business units. However, and this is where it gets really exciting, each of us 
has a potential of being a personal brand. And that whole process that I said about understanding your authenticity, even if I have to present you, if I say to you, are you being authentic? Is it authentically you? I think most of us pure humans spend most of our time looking confused and in a state of astonishment because we don't understand. So a personal brand is a process of helping you rewind and unpack everything. So as I said to you, the if you like, the IQ component of who you are, the EQ component, and then all of your life experience. So your hobbies, things that have happened to you, the people you've known, you, you don't regard them, you run past them as if they don't count for much, except they count for so much. They contribute to who you are as a brand. I use the analogy of what I learned in formal brand building in the advertising business. So if you read marketing books or you look at the role of a brand manager and if you've ever worked for a company where they've managed brands, you'll see that they go through a regular process of review at the moment probably every three months because they need to review the assets that the brand has got How has it built up its reputation? What was its experience? How can it deliver? Can it deliver something new? And then how should it look? But it has to be authentic. It has to be based on the intrinsic offerings. Because if you're a pretender and you can't deliver on that, the brand reputation is going to follow, is going to fail. So you can imagine that for yourself, if you're able to have an almost out-of-body experience, and rewind, relook yourself, and I've shared my own experience in the art of the suit. I'm constantly reinventing myself. Dawn is dawn. I always have been, uh, except that I can love myself more now because I understand more about who I am. So I can laugh at myself, and I can embrace the behavior of the child, of the teenager, as the young enthusiastic ad woman, as the business coach, And I constantly go through a process of rewinding and going, okay, the market has changed. How can I keep myself relevant? How can I remain interesting? How can I keep my appeal? And I will play up or play down different assets that I have. And to be honest, sometimes the primary benefit is that you can identify perhaps what you're lacking at the moment. Then you go and fetch. Go out, learn something new tap into a new network, stretch, and reinvent, repackage. Yes, I think for many of us, this is, this is not a, a, a common way we think about ourselves. So if we'd like to develop a personal brand, where does one start? The, the start at the very beginning. So the best uh, strategy, the best way you can help yourself is start a journal. And begin with writing down all of your intrinsic assets. So I'm using marketing lingo. Okay, so the intrinsics, if you were a brand and you were, let's say you were washing powder, they would look at what production facilities you have, what chemicals went into it. For a human, it's about, well, let's rewind and have a look at your education again. What you did as a kid, did you go to ballet lessons? Did you... 
uh, were you a scout? What were all of the assets? What were your formal learnings? It doesn't matter how minuscule, even if it was a little certificate. And then you draw a very comprehensive list of that. And then you look at your interests. So what are your passions? What do you love? Is it nature? Is it hiking? Is it food? Dancing? Maybe you're a part-time belly dancer. I don't know. doesn't matter. It's very interesting that you, you need to list absolutely everything. And then you start progressing into what is it that you would like to achieve for yourself. So what are those goals? What is the vision for yourself? And is that vision something that is short-term? Was there something that triggered that? What are your ambitions? And once you've got an idea of where it is that you want to go, that's when you're going to rewind once again. And you look in that treasure trove of all of your IQ, all of your interests, all of those aspirations, as well as things like failures. So where have you succeeded in the past? Where did you perhaps fail? Because all of those things, those elements, then you choose from that vast experience, the formula, the components that you're now going to remix into who you are today. And then start strategizing how you're going to use that to project you into the future, into that goal that you want. So it's not, it's very functional. There's a very functional process. It's not overwhelming. You don't need a, deg a degree. Basically, you just need your brain operating, a pen and a paper or a computer, and some quiet time, time to be able to reflect. It sounds to me as if it really doesn't matter what you do for a living. Not in the least, because quite frankly, you can be whatever you wish to be. And once you embrace that, the question is just how. So what have I already got and what do I need? So in marketing terms, we talk about a gap analysis. And how do we fill that gap? What do we fill it with? And it becomes very exciting because now you've got little mini goals and the mini goals are to fill each of those little gaps. And as you fill them, look around. Decide if you're on the right direction. Did you really enjoy that? Sometimes you gain the knowledge, but you go, oh, well, that wasn't very sexy. No, I think I need to redesign uh, my future, what I look like, which shelf, which section of the supermarket do I really want to be in? So it helps you to keep on thinking of yourself in terms of your favorite brand. And just observe how the brand managers manage that. And the art of the suit, I must mention, gives one exercises that one could do to help in this process. I do, uh, because as you said, it's very practical. Mm -hmm. I hate being left with that feeling of, well, that sounds very nice, but how? I think I still have that, you know, that young child of two or three years old, and they go, but why, why, how, why, how? That's a very good indicator of the mindset that you should adopt to reinvent yourself and remain relevant. Does there come a point where one has your personal brand and then you also have or are a commercial brand? So a fabulous question that, because I don't think you can separate the two. What I like about when you're certain about your personal brand, so 
in my case, in your case, we are the brand. So you spearhead your your business offering or your objectives, and you are the central component to that. So there's it, you can't separate the two. But let's say you were the CEO of an organization and the organization, the company's physical brands or services are the more important thing. You're the brand standing behind that. You may not be that visible. But what you need to do is have a good fix on what your personal brand is about. And the reason you need to get a fix on it is because we engage with different, if you want to call them stakeholders. You've got your family. You've got your business associates. You've got a broad array of people that you engage with. If you understand your personal brand, that is the authenticity. So you hear everyone talking about he or she is very authentic, lives true to their purpose. How do you arrive at authenticity? We're so bogged down with the noise and the pressure of life. If you don't revisit, if you don't visit or revisit your personal brand, how do you get a fix or a feel on what is authentically you? So once you've got that worked out, it gives you almost an auto-response. It gives you freedom to then go and pursue and contribute to the growth of other formal brands. So short answer, one and the same. Um, but it, it is the benefit of understanding the authentic you. Yes, and I also think the benefit lies in going from a very vague idea of who you are to having a more specific idea of what you're about. And you're absolutely right. And I think that certainly for me, um, life is an evolution. And I think you have to reset. I speak to so many people who are in a different life stage. Uh, parents whose children are now independent and grown up and out of the house. So we're in a constant state of life is valuable and we, we're in a constant state of the advantage of reinventing and revisiting. So you essentially remain who you are, but you have the opportunity to reset your relevance and that keeps your mind young, it keeps it fresh, it keeps you energized and that way you remain an interesting person. And that is an upward spiral rather than a downward spiral. So there are many motivators, commercial and personal. Yeah, it simply is a wonderful thing to think that one can reinvent oneself. Maybe that is why we often think that, say, 100 or 200 years ago, people who were, say, 40 or older were, were often, they, they had no other options left. But like, like one person said, you know, to, step, to sit on the veranda and just wait for, for what's coming. You know, a particularly exciting area to support what you're saying is the field of neuroscience. So, you know, part of my credentials, one of the, the learning areas that I've gone through, uh, there's a, a wonderful, brilliant woman, Dr. Melody Diaho, who you've also interviewed. And as a coach... Um, I had the benefit of being exposed to an instrument, a neuroscientifically based functional instrument, I'll explain what that's about, called Mind Dynamics. 
And essentially, this simple 15, 20-minute online questionnaire gives you a very good indicator, I like to call it an architectural blueprint, of your brain. And, or rather than the brain, it's your mind, because it's both this wonderful, it's, the brain is my favorite organ. I love it, and I love neuroscience. But it's one component of the human form. So mind dynamics looks at the brain in conjunction with how you take information, how you express it. So it works with the entire nervous system. It's, it's a, the thinking behind it is quite complex, but the experience of it is very simple. And what neuroscience unquestionably is demonstrating for us is that you have the opportunity to grow gray matter. You can develop new habits. You can keep this mind fresh, growing, and stimulated. And I think that what used to happen is people had this misconception that along with number of years came, became incompetence and that you lost gray matter and that you lose the ability for thought. One of my closest friends, her daughters are both very young, successful, stunning young women been through varsity, got their own careers, and she decided to finally get her her BA. She raised the average age of the the intake that she was in by at least 20 years. (laughs) And she shared a story that when she was going for registration, the security guards kept on announcing in her face that parents have to leave that hall, that it's only students. And eventually in this frail little voice, she said to them, but I am a student. So she's just a wonderful example. Needless to say, she graduated, I may say, cum laude. Not that she wanted the accolades, it was for herself. But I enjoyed her journey because I listened to new learning. And she used to share what she was learning and the challenge of thinking. And that contributed to my own learning. So with Mind Dynamics, I love the instrument so much. And I began using it as a coach, but to the point where I'm now a master trainer on Mind Dynamics. And as the master trainer, I have direct access to Melody Diacha. And I learn, I just learn more and more about neuroscience as a illuminator of where our potential lies. And I firmly believe in that. If you keep your brain stimulated, you look after yourself physically, we have the promise of a far better quality of life ahead of us. Well, I'm curious about that architectural blueprint. Can you tell us about some of the elements and, you know, what it feels like to have your your um, profile done. So it's interesting. The the profile report itself, we we look at 14 dimensions of of the person. We look at your inputs. So if you think of a computer and think of yourself as a computer, a computer is only as good as what you put into the computer. So messaging in through the keyboard a lot of computer technology now is just also with audio. So with us as humans, we take in information through what we see and what we hear because our brain sits in this protection chamber called the cranium. And to be honest, without the inputs or the ability to act, 
So with your nervous system, with muscles, I, I like to say the brain is as good as Mrs. Potato Head because it's just going to sit there. It doesn't have a voice. It can't express itself. It's so reliant. Uh, of Thomas Edison, the inventor of the light bulb, had a wonderful saying. He loved the brain so much. He said the primary purpose of the human body is merely to carry the brain around. <laughs> I love that. I think that everything we do should be in support of optimizing the potential of our brain, our mind. So what the report does, it looks at 14 dimensions because there are 14 dimensions where we have a choice between two. So for example, you have a left or right brain hemisphere, you have front or back or top or bottom. You have two eyes, you have two ears, two hands as an expression of how you speak and write, and you've got two feet as an expression of how you implement. And nature prescribes that the moment there's a choice between two, one will dominate. So what we're interested in, from the time you were conceived, that design of your dominant experts was already in place. In the first thousand days of your existence after you were born, those, that design was reinforced. And then life happens. The exciting thing is that as an adult, you can now rewind and there's this wonderful indicator, the sketch of where you've already got experts. So when you are in flow and you're in your happier space, this is the brief on where you're truly expert. Those are your key selling features if you want to go back to a mm. personal brand. And then when you look at your ambitions and what your objectives are, you can decide which of the experts you'd like to now develop. And that is where neuroscience assists us. You can do exercises. You can learn things. You can create new habits. You can create new neural pathways in the brain to help you stimulate those experts, that dominance, that where the potential, it's already there, it's latent. Could you give us a, an, an example? So if I look at myself, I am left brain dominant, so I love logic. I love process. I celebrate that. But what is very interesting is when I did my own profile, I realized that in the advertising game, through necessity, I certainly developed right brain thinking. The more creative solution, bigger picture, big picture thinking. I had to do that because in my role in advertising, I was the, the, the precursor to the creative genius presenting their ideas. And for me to be able to talk the language, to get the excitement, to set the scene for those creative ideas, I had to learn an appreciation. So by default, I never did this intentionally. I realized that I, whilst I may have a left brain dominance, I have that right brain skill. So it comes down to self-awareness. When you understand yourself, it gives you the opportunity to pull up that expert when you need it. And it, it also shows that if you hadn't developed your right brain function to that extent and you realized from your profile that you needed that for where you wanted to go, then you would know what to develop. There's another very interesting dynamic let me ask you a question. When you are extremely stressed, do you ever feel like you're in a dream 
that there are aspects of your usual performance that powers down, that you lose if you're extremely stressed. I certainly have the experience of, of stuff shutting down. That's how it feels. Can you think of a practical example? Um, I think when I'm very stressed and I try to figure out something, I just can't do it. It's very interesting. So in the Mind Dynamics profile, everything that is not aligned, so your your sight, your inputs, hearing or, or sight, and the, your outputs, your, your speech, your ability to write, the ability to implement, where the alignment is not with your dominant hemisphere of your brain, under extreme stress, that powers down. You don't lose it. It powers down. For me... I'll share with you that my sight, when I'm in extreme stress, powers down. When I did the Mind Dynamics profile and I saw that, I started laughing like you cannot believe because I know that when I'm stressed, it's best I do not respond to WhatsApps <laughs> or emails that possibly may have upset me because I literally misread them. So in Mind Dynamics, we've got a discipline called Mind Moves. They're physical exercises. You never work up a sweat. You're never going to get a six-pack, although I call it a six-pack for the brain. They're these exercises that bring those experts back into play. And so I have learned techniques. I still botch every now and then. I still misread. But at least if you understand the impact mm -hmm. of stress – then you know just self-awareness alone can prevent it from powering down. So the, the architecture of your brain, and we, we talk about a neuroscientific theory of architecture, which is a combination of function. So we know that the brain, in different areas of the brain, there's certain influence of functionality. Once again, neuroscience is superb. What what it's teaching us, what we're discovering, is that the brain is such a complex organ that it multipurposes, it, it multifunctional. So the, the good news is that once we understand the potential, we can broaden the capability, we can stimulate it. So you've got function, that's the function. How you were formed, as I, as I shared, was from the time you were conceived. And then there are epigenetics. There are things that happen that overlay in terms of your environment or how you live that may influence it. So there's function, your particular form, and then flow. And flow is the indication of where your experts are. Are they aligned? What happens to you when you're in your comfy, happy space? What happens to you when you're threatened and you're stressed? And once again, it comes back to understanding yourself is the beginning to being able to redesign and repackage that personal brand. Yeah, so we right, we went right round back to the personal brand. We did. And that's, I think, what it's, it's this loop. So never feel dismayed. The good news is that if it's not working for you, you're the owner of the brand. Just rewind, find out a little bit more about yourself, revisit values, revisit your design, and your brain. Look at your brain. For me, look, I don't like to be biased, but even as a coach, for me, the first level of understanding is what is the design of the operating system that you own? Because as a coach, even the way I speak to you or share ideas with you, I can fine-tune that 
depending on whether you're more of a creative thinker or you enjoy logic. Am I going to irritate you by giving you the long version or is your profile such that I need to get to the punchline pretty quickly? So it's, it's an incredible uh, base of knowledge, a uh, fountain of knowledge, and, and makes for better human interaction, whether it's in business or just the dynamics within your family. It's incredible how much it can deliver. Yeah, fascinating. Thank you, Dawn. Could you please tell us more about where listeners can find your book and have um, insight into what you do? Um, thank you for that uh, opportunity. So I think the best go-to spots in terms of what I have to share and if you want to tap into my knowledge or connect is either through my website, which is theartofthesuit.com. See, I make it easy. I've got a single-minded brand. Yes, you Always do. comes back to the art of the <laughs> suit. Clear. So theartofthesuit.com. I think LinkedIn is really useful. I use LinkedIn as my one of my primary social media. And that's your name and surname. Dawn, Dawn Klatsko, mm -hmm. yes, on LinkedIn. Um, I'm excited to say that I've just launched a, a podcast where yes. I'm trying to share some of these ideas. And lo and behold, it's under the name of The Art of the Suit. And that will be the platform where I share insights from the book as well as insights to developing your personal brand under the subtitle, if you like, of Anatomy of a Personal Brand. And uh, through the website, you can get hold of me by mail through LinkedIn as well. And if people want to listen to the podcast, where can they go to find it? So as I, I'm a newbie to the game, I'm on BuzzFeed, um, Buzzsprout, I beg your pardon, Buzzsprout, um, but on the major podcast platforms. So if you just do a search under the art of the suit, um, hopefully I will show. I'm sure you'll show. And then we've come to your three best tips on living the best life. Well, that was quite a challenge when you asked me that because I think, gosh, there, there's so much. And where do you give tips? So obviously, um, my passion in life, uh, see, here's the passion. I have thought about this carefully, is to help others unpack their potential because um, I know for a fact that all of us are beautifully self-critical and we don't see the potential of ourselves. We would rather put ourselves down first. So that is my driving ambition. But I thought, so what would the three tips be? I think my first, and I, I feel quite strongly about this, is avoid the detractors. It's such a competitive world out there. And people, whether they're aware of it or not, are very often jealous and it's easier to make you question yourself or to celebrate or, or feel good about somebody else's failures, not because you're a mean person, but because it's kind of self-assurance. Self so I think a good piece of advice is avoid the detractors. If you sense that the person you're speaking to, and very often it's your closest friend or it's a family member or it's a business partner, if you hear the negativity, develop the art of sidestepping the issue. And a very good piece of advice is refocus them on something that they love about themselves. So if the person loves cats and they've got 10, immediately shift the discussion to them rather than about yourself. 
Because the, that detraction, that negative messaging goes to your supercomputer. The brain starts listening to that and starts believing what it's heard. So that is my first piece of advice. Learn the art of sidestepping the issue. Step away from the favorite subject matter. I think the second is that life is too short to eat bad food. Oh, yes. I love food. I love cooking. It was part of my passion for Italy. It stimulated my interest in that country. You must just mention that you have your second home in Italy. Yes, I do. It shows you what ambition and passion can drive you to. And and the honest truth is that I... I have a home there because I really wanted a lovely kitchen so that when I'm there, I've got all the utensils and I can take advantage of fresh produce in the little town where it is on the, in the south of Italy. So that is a passion. But I think when I say life is too short to eat bad food, there's also a massive body of research and evidence that we don't fully understand the power of the right foods. And they don't have to taste bad. You don't only have to eat lettuce leaves. There's a lot. Once again, if you understand yourself, so I have done my, my gene profiling, and the gene profiling gives you a very good indicator of what type of diet you should follow to optimize your, your health and your functioning. So take care, you know. So And I think food is fun. It's delicious. I feel very sorry for people who deny themselves the the benefit of that because it's one thing you can only do while you're alive and then i think the the third for the third tip for living the best life is to never stop learning it doesn't have to be major it doesn't matter what you do i set an objective for myself to either do another course another qualification take on the challenge. I've been learning, trying to learn Italian, I think, for 10 years. I'm still atrocious at it, but I still really enjoy learning new words and trying to understand what, in my mind, is a complex language. I've done courses like a handy woman's course. What is that? It was, it's sadly something that they don't offer any longer, but only women were allowed and they taught you how to handle power tools and some major equipment. And the reason that it was only women is because when you're handing a massive hammer drill and your hammer drill goes sliding off the concrete block <laughs> and you're all letting out shrieks of horror and laughing, that there wasn't a man in the room to go, oh, really? Oh, please, this is so easy. So it was actually a huge camaraderie. It was like women unite and... It, there are lots of shrill laughter, and it always used to end with a glass of wine. But I can proudly say that I can now replace a pane of glass. I can replace an element in a kettle, not that I'd want to, but a lot of practical things. So there, there are just practical. I've done tree courses and identifying trees. doesn't matter what it is. Mm. As long as it's new, and once again, if I can go back to neuroscience, what, what the very clever neuroscientists are are showing us and what they're informing us is that the more you stretch your brain, so the greater the mental challenge, it's not merely doing crossword puzzles or games, but the real stretch is to learn something that takes your absolute focus and is all-encompassing. And for me, I think a byproduct 
of learning something new is that it helps you prevent that slide, especially in the life that we're living at the moment, um, to avoid, it's like a barrier against depression. Uh, letting this powerful supercomputer that we own go down into negative thought. If, if there's something exciting happening in your brain, if you could actually see inside the brain, what you would notice is a light show of activity, like an electrical storm. And that has so much benefit, it is so positive for how you think, your mindset, as well as physiologically. So it's not just the tick list, and here's another qual qualification, mm -hmm. and I've got that. It's, it's magic. It's the best medicine you can give yourself. Yes, I think I choose the word engagement. For when I look at you, I can see that. And I would say engagement creates a sparkle in the eye. And interestingly, the eyes, very often when that description of sparkle to the eye, once again, if I come back to neuroscience, it's almost like windows to the brain. So very often that sparkle is a good indicator of the neural activity that's happening in that wonderful supercomputer of ours. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's such, we live in such an interesting world. We are so privileged with the access that technology has given us. We can learn so much more just in front of your computer or on your phone. Wonderful tech. Make sure you use it to your advantage, not just to watch those funny videos of cats and dogs that we all love. Yeah. I think the whole COVID pandemic has just turned a little more positive in my view. So thank you very much. Thank you. Right, now it's fun question time. And you said you've got one for me. Would you like to start with that? So I'm very curious, and maybe this isn't uh, fun, so I can't help but learn. I love learning. And if anybody offers their brain to me or the opportunity <laughs> to find out something about them, I would love to find out if you're able to answer the question. So you have a particular ability to get people to open up to you, to share their thinking, to share their insights and present the person, the inside person. This is obviously a skill that you've developed over the years. So my question to you, is it, is it an auto-response or is it by design? If it's by design, what is it? What is the technique? How do you establish that level of trust so quickly to get people to open themselves up to you? Oh, what a wonderful question. I can't help thinking of my parents, both dead a long time ago. But you know, my dad was curious about absolutely everything. And my mum was very empathetic and very loving. And I think either it came right, down right through the genes or I learned it in my home with my dad, who, who was always, like you, thinking of new things and wondering, how does that work? How does that work? I know Melody once said that her dad taught her that too. And then my mum just loved people, and she always wanted to know what, what made them tick in a, in a nice way, and, you know, not, in a, not in, a, in a way that would unsettle them. So I think, yeah, thank you for that. I think... What the way I approach people com probably combines those two elements. 
those are such wonderful insights. And so if I can just illustrate to you, so I'm turning around once again back to the art of the suit and anatomy of a personal brand. If you were going through a rewind process on your personal brand, two of the strong assets that you have, whether it was inherited or developed, is curiosity and empathy. And those are such spectacular assets and are such drivers. So, you know, it's something that you just run past. You never take the time to stop and go, what makes me really good? What are the attributes? What are the assets that I have? So I hope you're going to make sure that you add those two onto your list if ever you do go through the process of reviewing your personal brand. Thank you, Doom. Thanks a lot. Thank you. And then I have a question, a fun question for you. If you were a member of an ancient culture, whether it would be the Incas or another culture you could think of, which role in the community would you have loved to play? That is extremely challenging. So I guess... Do I need to choose the the era or the culture Indeed, that I was in? You can answer in any way you like. So I, I think back, there's so many of the Greek philosophers whose teachings, it's the, the Greeks and the Italians. So I love the works and the insights to Leonardo da Vinci, um, Aristotle. I think there's so much learning out in the world. They come from, call them ancient cultures, but if I could just wave a wand and rewind to a different time that was perhaps slower paced, there was less known and there was more of a discovery, I would have loved to have been a Greek philosopher. And there was a culture, there was a setting where leading edge thinking, which I suppose is part of modern day culture as well, but it was almost the foundation of questioning what existed and finding the answers and sharing. They were orators, they were respected and people listened and that was part of the celebration of life. I may be romanticizing it, I'm sure it was quite, there were lots of aspects of life that were really harsh and tough then, but that is the case now. But if I think back romantically, or want to go, which I, d I don't tend to. I never regret the past. I always look at today and what can help me for tomorrow. But that is what my wish would be. Thank you. To our listeners, thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone you care about. It would be greatly appreciated if you would rate and review the podcast series where you download your podcasts. Calm, Clear and Helpful is available on iTunes, Spotify, Iono FM and Player FM. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me, Mariette Sneeman, and the music is by Mart-Marie Sneeman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9 